Vegas Video Network Studios, just steps from the Las Vegas Strip, it's Top of the Food Chain! And I'm your host, he's one part mohawk, two parts attitude, and a touch of what the f***, it's Al Mancini! Uh, well, they did stop. <laughs> I just had to say stop once, and they did. It's like they were on cue. Hey, welcome to Top of the Food Chain. I am your host, Al Mancini, the man who believes the cuter an animal is, the better it tastes. And we're going to prove it today, talking about some cute little piggies. So, and they're going to be scrumptious. We'll be getting to that shortly. Um, in the meantime, I want to let you know, you are watching us, hopefully live, at Vegas, the Vegas Video Network. We've got a lot of other shows here that we want you to check out. Um, you can get all of our shows, present and past episodes. You can find them archived at VegasVideoNetwork.com. Get them on iTunes. We've got audio versions. We've got video versions. They're on YouTube. Um, I'm archiving them on my personal ones on my site, AlMancini.net. You can listen to all of our programming. Every Friday night, they kind of just, we kind of just, I don't know, what did we buy, steal? We got to block a chunk of time at K KSHP 1400 AM on Friday nights, and they just run all of us right into each other. Who do I come on before or after, Scott? Do you know? You know, it's, it's, it's random. It just depends on who pays me the most. Oh. And we put them first. Oh, wow. So you're last. So that's why I've been last. <laughs> okay. Um, well, how about the one you pay the least? I should get to go first. So. You'll go first next time. Okay. Anyway, watch, listen in the whole evening at KSHP. In the meantime, we finally got email working. Scott's been hoarding my emails for the past four weeks, but we have some. We're going to answer some questions today. If you've got questions for a future, um, for a future show, just send them to food at VegasVideoNetwork.com. In the meantime, if you're watching us live right now, and hopefully some of you are, we've got a live chat going on. And uh, just to prepare you, we're going to be talking about Koshan, All-Star Koshan, which is a big um, pig food festival that's happening this weekend. We've got the founder of Koshan here with us, so we're going to be talking to him. If you've got questions about that, get, log on to the chat room right now. Also, have my fellow food critic, Jim Bagley, here, and a good friend of mine. If you've got questions for food critics, just about generally being a food critic, or restaurants that you want he and I to duke it out over, get on the chat room now and be ready to, um, to ask that as soon as Jim gets his butt in that seat right there. In the meantime, finally, if you are listening to us and you've got questions you want, we've got a listener chat line. The number is 866-966-4599. Scott wrote it down for me this week because I could not read it on, all the way on that screen over there. Okay, anyway, we've got a lot going on today. Um, let's kick things off right now. Scott, how are you? Konnichiwa, my brother. Konnichiwa. How's your week been? My week has been busy. A lot of cool things happening here at the Vegas Video Network. We've got a big announcement we're working on. It's, uh, we're doing some pretty cool stuff. You keep teasing about that big announcement. I do, I do. It's because I'm kind of a tease. Oh, that's what I've heard about you. I don't want to brag. That is what I've heard. Did you see my new cockroach pendant, by the way? It keeps I, I did, turning upside down. But. Let me just say that it's the most frightening thing in this studio. I always thought I was usually the most frightening thing in the studio. I'm telling I got, you, the cockroach scares me a little bit. Got that over at Buffalo Exchange, man. But, you know, I had to wear it today. Um, there's, you, know, you shouldn't be in this business if you cannot take abuse from people. And I was online this week, and I was looking at one of my old reviews of a restaurant. And I had to reference it. It was actually a place right down the street here, Piero's, where I had complained that they treated me pretty much like crap because, obviously, they didn't like the way that I looked. And I had to go back and do a little research, and I noticed there were a bunch of lists or reader comments on the website. And I had to read this one to you, Scott. I thought you'd appreciate it. It says, I'm sure I'll come off 
I'm sure I'll just come off like an old curmudgeon, but it should be mentioned that Al presents himself like a 13-year-old. <laughs> While I'm sure there were many a casual dresser in the restaurant, I'm sure the only red 8-inch mohawk belonged to our dear critic. Not saying he deserves any less than a khaki-clad conventioneer, but that look at me, I'm so punk, what are you looking at, shtick, got old in 89. <laughs> To have, held, to have held on to it in a profession that should entail a bit of anonymity is pretty lazy. But the best part about this, though, I, I love this because it was signed by whoever it was, obviously somebody who knows me, didn't want to leave their name, signed it, Al, nice enough guy but looks like a D-bag. <laughs> so um, I figure if I'm going to dress like a 13-year-old, I should have my cockroach pendant. That just oh, seems very 13-year-old friendly. Well, I got to give it to you for just reading that. That's outstanding. <laughs> that was great. I just love the way that they signed it, man. I hope that person is watching, whoever it is. I hope they come forward and claim it. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Never know. Oh, in the meantime, other good things food-related going on this week. I got some crabs. Do you, you dig uh, Maryland Blues, Scott? I don't know enough about cra crabs to know what I'm eating. I like them. But I don't know what they are. Maryland blue crabs, almost impossible to find out here. Um, we went over to the crab corner. Nikki knew from Vegas.com. Oh, yeah, a I bunch saw you of us together. That. that was great. You can read about that on my website. Um, you know what I did today? The new farmer's market. Have you been down to the new farmer's market? You know what? I'm starting to feel a little sad here. Because <laughs> every time you ask me if I've done something, I haven't done it. And now I feel bad. Jacob, let me go out, please. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> great new farmer's market. Um, apparently, they're drawn. It's every Thursday from 10 to to um, one o'clock. It's just behind the El Cortez. Um, it's kind of semi-indoors, so you're not right out in the heat. No air conditioning, but you're not out in the heat. Apparently, they've been drawing like 1,200 people a week there. This is only the second week, but it's great, man. Did that this, this morning. Have you done the, uh, Molly wants to know if you've done the uh, Trivoli Farmer's Market. I haven't done that, but you know, as I said here before, I don't really like Tivoli Village all that Tivoli. much. I mean, I, I wish them the best, but I kind of feel like the place is just really scrunched in and trying to be a city when it's really just, you know, some suburban mall. And if you really want a city experience at a farmer's market, I recommend you go to the one that's actually downtown in the city. That's just me. I like my cities to be downtown in a city, not prefabricated. And there goes our sponsorship from the good people. Of to Tivoli Village. Village. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, guys, man. I calls them like I see them. You didn't, you didn't bring me in to do this job because of my endearing attitude, I don't believe. Hold on. It's the Chamber of Commerce. Yes. I, I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mayor Goodman used to like me. We used to hang out together from time to time. We judged some competitions. No, I don't think he's a D-bag. No, <laughs> I don't. Okay. Yes, Al D-Bag Mancini. It's my new motto, my new nickname. Anyway, um, we are going to talk a little bit about Koshan 555. If you don't know what it is, actually, we're doing all-star Koshan, even better here in Las Vegas. I'll explain all about that. Plus, the coolest thing, Scott, you're going to love this. The gentleman who is here to talk to us about Koshan also brags about his drink-making skills. So we're going to be having some beverages. Yeah, I know. I know how to get the cheap seats happy. We will be back doing all of that right after this message. This is David Ivey for Pub Crawl. It's funny because is David. You should, you should, no, you should just leave it on. Hi, I'm David Ivey from Pub Crawl, and you're watching the Vegas Video Network. And scene. Okay, we are back. Thank you, David, for that nice introduction. Right now, I've got with me, ready? You got, you got all your thing? You got all your props? Okay, Brady is ready. Cut to that shot. Brady Lowe here. 
Brady, how are you, my brother? Good, good to see you. Last time I saw you, it was over drinks at Vegas on Cork. It was. A lot of drinks. You caught me off guard. I think you caught me off guard. I think we <laughs> caught each other off guard. I don't know. I have tape of that interview somewhere. I, I know. To, I wanted to hear Got to hear what it sounds like if I can find it. Anyway, man, um, Brady is the founder of Koshan 555, which is a pork cooking festival type thing. It travels around the country every year and um, really cool world-class chefs. And we're going to talk about exactly what they do and how they eat these piggies, pretty much from their snout down to their tail. Everything but the oink, as one of my friends would have said, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. So um, we're going to talk about that. But first, you brought booze. And we always start with the booze, man. Why'd you bring the booze? It's been a rough week. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you know, getting a whole bunch of chefs together and pulling together a bunch of farms, getting all the animals to slaughter, get them all delivered, get them to kitchens. And then you have pork emergencies, I think which are great things. Tougher week for the animals that you brought to slaughter. I, I, so I guess we're toasting in their behalf. You yeah, know? We'll, we'll toast those bad boys. So now what is your claim to fame here? So I'm just a big Manhattan guy. I figured that in the community, if you're going to stick with uh, your own, you're going to want to drink what your own drink. And I think rye and bourbons are pretty much a hot thing right now. And I, that's kind of where my palate is. So um, in honor for you, I thought we would do a Manhattan. And you make the perfect Manhattan, you tell me. I don't want to say it's a perfect Manhattan. We were in, a, we were in Aspen, and we had. Is it Aspen Food and Wine? Aspen Food and Wine, where we did Grand Cochon about a month ago. And funny enough, I get, still get nervous around Jacques Pepin. Well, Jacques, yeah, that's understandable. So Jacques, you know, he looks over, and I'm playing with this perfect Manhattan, and I'm like, I'm like, Jacques, it's it's the idea of what actually everyone is putting so much work into a Manhattan. They're like throwing too many bitters. They're trying to go too sweet or too dry. They're trying to like off this, you know, off these little products in there. And I'm like, the perfect Manhattan is just about technique. Keep it simple. And that's what I think chefs are doing. That's what I'm doing. I don't want to like try a bunch of creativity every single time. So this is a very very simple two cherries, Luxardo, which are uh, an Italian. And if you can tell, you just get just a little tiny touch of that syrup. And it's brandy and these Italian cherries. And it's just a beautiful mark. And then Templeton rye. It doesn't have to be any specific rye or bourbon, just something that you really love. Right. Hirsch and Templeton team, team seem to be my favorites right now. And then you just pour it right over the ice. And I mean, that's really just. And we'll be drinking these at Koshan? Oh, we'll be drinking these at Koshan. We'll be drinking. Got a little white floaty thing in there, but that's okay. I don't know what those are. Let me have that. I oh, like, okay. I like you like the white floaty thing? Yeah, it's just a little piece of the uh, cherry okay. uh, bottle. So, but salute. Cheers, cheers to the dead little piggies. May, we, may you die tastily. <sighs> They're in good hands right now. Ah, that's good. But isn't that just simple, clean? I mean, Absolutely. the rye is beautiful. Uh, Iowa product, like myself. Um, but really, it's just about being pure in what you're looking for and not overcomplicating things. And I think the event really kind of the, goes the Iowa that products. You, you guys in Iowa are a little twisted out there, out we, in we corn country, man. The guys from Slipknot are from Iowa, right? Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, oh God, my metal friends will kill me if I got that one wrong. <laughs> anyway, so we got Koshan, All Star Koshan, very cool. We got a little thing, but I don't know why we're doing that. We got graphics. Here's the deal. This is basically a head-to-toe kind of pork festival. Yep. Explain what that means. I think what happens right now is there's two conversations happening in food world. One has to do with responsibility and covering your bottom line. And you take pigs from a 
very responsible, very passionate source, farmers, family farms who are raising these great heritage breed pigs, and then you deliver it to a chef, and every single bit of that animal is 100% flavor. So why throw anything away? Mm -hmm. And it's about using every single piece except the oink into a dish, being extremely passionate and pure about your intention about promoting and saving heritage breed pigs, which also is synonymous with family farms. Right. So you, 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 you throw a rock up in the air and you hit two birds. And uh, you know, there's so much we hear, and you know, I know we did sustainable seafood last week. I don't want to kind of just be the overly moral guy here, but you know, people, my, my vegan friends always want to tell me, don't eat, you know, factory farming is horrible. You don't want to eat things because of the way these animals were raised. And it's absolutely true, I can't argue with them. But if we were to get back to eating things grown on family farms, maybe we need to eat a little less in order to do that, but get back to things that are grown on family farms. These animals live much happier lives and they taste better because a stressed animal produces adrenaline and it just tastes like crap. And an animal that lives his whole life in a horrible cage is, is going to just taste lousy. But if you're eating these things that are grown on family farms, they're going to taste better, the animals are happier. You don't have to explain to your kid why you killed Babe, basically, or at least why you tortured Babe, you know, before you ate Didn't it. Didn't Babe get so, a milk bath? Did, did Babe get a milk bath? I think bath? Babe got a milk bath before she... Really? Yeah, before she went to the fair. Wow. Okay, um, well, we've, got, yeah. <laughs> we've got a question on the chat line. Scott, who's yeah, over there? Yeah, Mike wants to know, do you guys get more grief now that there are more people who don't eat pork or feel it's offensive in some manner? Me? So are you? Are, now, are you, are you, you know, hearing things from people because they're, they're offended by the, the nature of eating pork? No, I, I, no I, I really believe what's happening is you're just picking who you're going to support in the food movement. So it's not about, you know, hey, I'm a vegetarian or I'm a vegan and I don't want to mess with people who are eating meats or porks or whatnot. What we're talking about is picking one, pretty much one field or a non-field item product. Like I want to support family farms who, you know, who I'm looking for flavor. Mm -hmm. And as a flavor determined consumer, that's what I'm looking for. I want to find the best product that I can spend my money on. So if people are offended by taking down whole animals to kind of preserve them, then I think you're kind of missing the point of what we're all here to do. We're now, here, you know, we're here to have better things to eat. Right. And I'm guessing you don't do these at synagogues or anything. No, but it, that might not sit well. <laughs> but it's funny, like the first, uh, the first koshan that I ever hosted was on uh, was on Passover. Really? Yeah, okay. and it was a Friday, and or it was a, you know it was a, this weekend event, and the I got a lot of emails all about the situation, really? and I was having a hard to say like my best friends are all Jewish and they're all coming to this event, and they all bought tickets, you know, and that was just a fact, right? right? You'd, everyone has their the rules that they break and bend for certain purpose and reasons, right? You know, um, oh, I've got plenty of those. <laughs> um, okay, so you come into a town and you've got you've got family farms. How do you source the farms before you come into a Las Vegas? And and then I want to ask you who some of the farms are. I mean, you don't need to go down all of them, but a couple of the farms you've found here. How though? First of all, when you decide you're moving into a town. How do you go about figuring which are the farms that you want to support and that are going to provide the best product for these world-class chefs that are doing this? When I'm, in, when I'm in a market like Las Vegas and I'm looking to find a certain, if I'm just looking for pigs, it's hard. And every chef in the city is going to tell you it's tough. There's just not many pigs on pasture. You can find pigs in North Nevada, but you can't really find any heritage breed specific animals. 
and people who are working to promote one breed, like people do for dogs. Like I'm raising dachshunds, I'm raising Dobermans. Like there is a certain pedigree and, and purpose for each of these animals and flavor characteristic. So you don't really get much of that, but the idea is this event coming to Las Vegas hopefully has the influence or the we can just leave a little bit of residual behind where people will pick up on it. And like a couple of farmers will be like, I got to talk to somebody the other day and I was like, he's like, I'm looking for a new business. I'm like, raise pigs, raise heritage breed pigs and you'll have your phone ringing off the hook every single day with chefs in the city who can't, who rather not pay shipping to get them here. I, I need a job, so maybe I'll start pig farming. Oh my gosh, cool. you, would, you would kill it. Yeah. Literally, a lot of them. <laughs> I would kill quite a few. Yeah, yeah, my buddy Gino Bernardo is actually um, from Nove Italiano, who's been a guest on this show. He's actually raising his pig right now up on his farm in Perump. So, but so where did you find the ones? That so all these pigs for this event all came from their local markets. So each of these chefs I have met in the last three years, they're the champions for Kashan. They have been, in addition to like all the other 200 chefs, very supportive about what we all do. And they carry the conversation on. So they, now you have chefs that are coming, because this is an all-star event, these are the chefs that won in various markets. So that, you have chefs that are coming from, I can't read it, it's upside down, but from, say, New York or from wherever. Portland, New York, Portland. Denver, Boston, Seattle, Chicago, Los Angeles, Napa, all yeah. San Francisco. So they brought their pigs from the city that they're coming from. Yep. So they're representing a hometown farm. Were they slaughtered in their hometown, or did they bring yep. them here like on the plane or something? No, they're all, they're all killed there, and then we have to pay for shipping to get them here. Okay. Either they fly with them as a companion, buddy pass, <laughs> or right. you know, they put them in a FedEx box okay. and ship them overnight. So they got them out here. When are they? So the, the event is taking place, by the way, this Sunday, if anybody's curious. Um, when are they slaughtered as opposed to when then you know, the event takes place? How, how, how many days have they been dead before we eat them? I would say most pigs are going to, this is kind of an interesting point. The pigs for this event were put down last Thursday. Last Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, delivered on Monday, shipped here. So they've been, you know, it's four day old, five day old. Mm -hmm. The thing with pork that you see at like grocery stores, how jock full of uh, preservatives it is and anybody, whatever else it is. I mean, those are up to like two, three weeks old. Right, but because we're talking, and again, these are all, Family farmed, which means you're not going to have the antibiotics. The pigs live nice lives, then they're not going to be, you know, shoved full of preservatives. So yeah, these things do not stay as fresh as things in a supermarket. But that is good. We want to eat them quickly, and we don't want all that artificial stuff in them. So, do the chefs, when you do this in another city, mm -hmm. and or before these chefs come out here, do they participate in the actual slaughter of the animal? Actually, David Varley, uh, who won the tour last year, he's over at Michael Mina, and this year he, you know, he was in the San Francisco event, and he went and took part in every single moment from that animal was selected, slaughtered, processed, brought home with him, and they actually worked on the animal and right. then served it. So being part of that process is inspiring to chefs and, the, and, the, and everyone working in the kitchen and everyone who hears the story. So, yeah, it happens about 5% of the tour. Okay. But we're pretty much everyone just gets their, sh their pigs delivered. Right. Dave, Dave Varley is a good friend of mine, actually. He's I'm looking awesome. forward to seeing him this weekend. So when people show up, now first of all, this is a $150 ticket, yep. right? Starts at $150, it's 200 for VIP. For VIP. What are people going to be witnessing when they get there? What, what is the event? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of pig, and we talk about how there's every part of the pig, but what exactly are the festivities like? I've never attended one of those. All right, so first you're coming to the Cosmopolitan. This is the tallest mountain, I think, across the country for casinos. I mean, this is what people are talking about. 
show up at the Cosmopolitan, go to fourth floor of Chelsea, there's going to be a sea of balloons and a bubbles of, you know, just tons of champagne floating around you. When you walk in, get comfortable. I'm going to crack the doors. You're going to walk in. The room is going to be split in two. One side of the room is going to be all about fat, or I'm sorry, all about trim, and the other side is going to be about whole. So whole muscle versus trim, and trim is everything that you can talk about in utilization, and that's not wasting any penny into the garbage can. So you're seeing salamis and bolognese and grinds and bacon and a lot of right. like a lot of. Now are they cutting the pig down in front of you? Well, that's just. No, you're going to have butcher demos, which are going to be doing okay. that. So on the trim side, you have three stations and a butcher who, has, who is doing the demos for those stations. On the other side, you're going to have all the whole muscles and a butchers who are going to be feeding those processes into the station. So you have David Varley, who's running Fat 101. Right. So he's got like 150 pounds of fat back that they've done into four different dishes. Then you have uh, somebody from, front, you know, Devin Nell from French Laundry who's doing the Swiss Army pig. So you have the Swiss Army section. Right. And then you have, uh, on the other side, you have the Far East, which is like Andy Ricker, um, Jamie Bissonette, and Stephanie Azard, who are doing like all north to south right. Thailand. Um, so yeah. uh, I want to talk to you one more thing. I mean, I, yeah. I, we, we're running out of time here, and a lot of stuff I want to chat with you about. Of course, people definitely check out All Star Koshan. It is this week at um, this weekend, this Sunday at Cosmopolitan. But getting back in touch for people around the country with this supporting family farms, other than going to Koshan, how do I how do I do that? Say I'm living in whether I'm living in Philadelphia or Iowa or wherever. Is there a way that you think people can just get more directly involved with knowing where their meat comes from? 100%. Go to farmer's markets. Go to farmer's market and talk to people who are raising proteins. Go to the Tivoli Square. Go to Fresh 52. Go to the market you know you guys went to today. Like Those are the people that need our support. We're talking about it right now, but if we don't continue to talk about it and pour money into it, and what's the what's the I mean what's the downside right. of like going to a farmers market and buying food like you get better food yeah absolutely you know? it's but great that's it. and that's, uh, yeah that's today they were point. I was talking to guys who raise grass fed beef and that's a whole other story but anyway Scott I know we got to cut do we have one last question here for Brady yeah we'll do it real quick uh, is there anything to the concept of beer fed or cider fed pigs they're tasty. <laughs> okay. I mean, and they are probably yeah. happier on their way to the slaughter. Yeah, I mean, anything so, that's going to be fed on the, on the way to town is going to be very happy. Cool. Well, thank you very much, man. Yeah. I really appreciate having you. We're going to be up with Jim Bagley in just a second. In the meantime, you, take, you can take some of this whiskey away and make some drinks for my crew. Cool. Okay? Anyway, here's a, here's a commercial break. We'll be right back. No pressure. Hi, I'm... <laughs> Hi, I'm Dennis Silvers from... I can't think of the name of my damn show. Golf and other four-letter words, and you're watching the Vegas Video Network, I think. <laughs> oh, man, I love the bottle just flying away there. That's, that's what Scott does to make sure that there's going to be whiskey available for him. He knows if he leaves it on the table with me, we end up um, taking it home. <laughs> and Scott gets really, really angry when I take home the whiskey in this place. Oh, man. Anyway, right now, you know, I'm constantly asked questions about being a food critic, a restaurant critic, what it's like. And um, it's tough for me to kind of sit here on the show and answer them because only about 5% of my food writing is actual critique. I mean, I'd probably do maybe 15, 20 food articles a week, 
a lot or a month, excuse me, a lot more blog posts, um, five or six video productions, and only about four of them are actually criticisms. My buddy here, Jim Bagley, is a part-time restaurant critic. He um, writes for Las Vegas Weekly, and he does it. That is all he writes. Everything that Jim writes when it comes to um, to food is basically a restaurant critique. So he is better suited to answer the questions, and I'd rather put him on the hot seat. So Jim. Well, thanks, Al. I really appreciate it. Welcome to Top of the Food <laughs> Chain, my brother. It's good to see you. Good to be here. Unfazed by the wild applause that, that you got was, there. It was, it was resounding. <laughs> Resoundingly wild applause. So, Jim, um, briefly, you are a full-time engineer, part-time food writer, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I write for, write for the Weekly, also write for David Magazine. And can't forget my, that's my first gig, so. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great. And it, it, the food writing, needless to say, nicely balances the kind of uh, X's and O's of the engineering life. And you also have a blog, Splurge Monkey? I do, splurgemonkey.com. Although you haven't posted there in quite a while, but. Nope, um, nope I've, got a, I've got a catch back up on it. Yeah, uh, uh, Tish, has a, Tish has a couple rules, and the paid Tish engineering. Tish being your wife. Tish yes. being my wife. Yeah. The engineering, engineering work, which gets paid, goes first. Well, this, I think, <laughs> is where we're going to have a lot of differences, because, yeah, you write maybe one or two articles a week mm -hmm. um, compared to the number that I write. And we, we, you know, we debate a lot about how many times you need to go to a restaurant. And I think if, you're for, if you only have to write five articles about five restaurants a month, you can go back to them a lot more frequently than I can if I'm writing about 30 restaurants in a month. Yeah, absolutely. But, but that also truly applies to the to the critiques. So when you're doing reviews, and that I think that's what that's what we've discussed at times is how many times do you go to a restaurant to be able to give it a fair share and give yourself a good idea as to what's on the menu and what is the restaurant like. Yeah. And so I tend I won't typically write about a place if I've gone any less than three times. And it's just my rule of thumb. And so sometimes sometimes when I'm coming up against deadlines, that means uh, well, one review was a Friday lunch, a Saturday dinner, and a Sunday brunch to get a Monday deadline. So it was kind of cramped in. But generally, I like to go places. I like to know in advance. And so when I'm pitching my reviews to my editor, I generally have been there a number of times. And I, I'll know if it's pretty good. And so I, you won't find me. I know one of your, one of your uh, qualms with me is that you, you won't find me writing too many bad reviews. And that's because I can't stand to go to a bad place more than once. If I walk in, I have a bad experience, it's hard, hard to get me back there. Right. And rather than warn off your readers, you say, screw them, let them waste their own money, and <laughs> I'm not going to write anything bad about this well, place. Well, I kind of look at it as uh, there's a lot of places in town, a lot of mom-and-pop hole-in-the-wall joints that really deserve some kind of publicity. And bad places will put themselves out of business. Needless to say, good places will too. On on occasion, we've seen we've seen a, a major losses the past week. Was, week or so, yeah. yeah, was a was a was unfortunately the prime example of that. But bad places will generally put themselves out of business. Good places without publicity will too. And oh, see, this is where I disagree with Jim on a fundamental basis. I don't think I'm here to just be a cheerleader for the restaurants. I think I'm here to help you guys save some money. And I think that if a place sucks, and if I go in there once and it sucks, it's my job to tell you that it, I'm not going to keep saying the word because I know we got radio listeners out there and they're very conservative, but that it's bad. You know, It's my time to just tell you, look, because I know it's tough for you guys to get out and dine out sometimes. You save up a lot of money or it's your one night out without the kids or whatever it is. And you don't want to blow it on a bad place. And I feel it's my responsibility to warn you so that you don't blow your one night out on a bad place. Jim, just you don't seem to agree with me on that one. No, no, I, I think that uh, you, you read my stuff, and basically you're going to find that, hey, here's a list of places I 
that Jim approves. And these are good places. I've been there, been to any of them any number of times. And so I think you can use that as a kind of a reference. And so, yes, there's going to be, needless to say, I can't visit everywhere. You can't, none of us can visit everywhere. But there's, so there's bound to be places to slip through. But I think it works as a good kind of, a good reference for people. And so I get calls all the time. Long before I started writing, I get calls. Hey, I'm on the east side. I need uh, an Italian joint that's family friendly. Where do I go? And what do I order? And so, you know, now I've got the opportunity to go ahead and, do that in a public forum where everybody gets to get that information rather than just people who have my cell. Right. Now, um, one question everybody always asks, how'd you get your start in food writing? Well, it's pretty interesting. I actually transitioned jobs about a year and a half ago. Uh, went from working for a firm to working for myself. And in the interim, I actually was talking with some, some other people who happened to be in the writing industry, happened to be in between jobs also. And, and a position, an opportunity had come up with uh, David Magazine. It, it's uh, actually a lost Vegas. You would not be covering Koshan for David Magazine. <laughs> no, I would not. David Magazine, a Jewish lifestyle magazine, yes. so probably not Koshan. <laughs> which, is, which is actually really funny. So, yeah, so David Magazine is actually a contemporary Jewish monthly. And though every, though the restaurants that I write about are not strictly kosher, I, t I try to write kosher. And what I mean by that is basically I'm not going to write about pork. I'm not going to write about shellfish. I'm not going to write about meat and cheese. And that can be really tough. My first, my, the first uh, sushi article I did, I came back and I had everything in mind and I started writing everything down and I realized three-fourths of the dishes I liked, all shellfish. <laughs> so I had to go back to scratch. Same thing happened when I wrote, uh, my, did my Cosmo write-up, was uh, Chino Poblano. I had a list of dishes and ended up, I had to go back, I had to go back right before deadline just to get some more dishes in because I, every dish I had was either pork, shellfish, or some combination thereof. I like pork. I like shellfish. Right. So, um, you, so you don't have a background. You, we're not trained in food, as I think a lot of our people in our business were not. Um, but what I usually find is that most people in our business were either journalists first, or they were in the restaurant business first. In my case, I was a journalist first. You came kind of out of the blue. So you're a food hobbyist that started writing, and you had some friends in the business. And so, I mean, it's not something, there's not a huge bar to getting into this business. It's you got to kind of be lucky, in a way. Oh, absolutely. It, that, was, that was luck. Now, I had written before. I, I, as an engineer, I've written for quite a period of time. I've written technical, technical articles which are, needless to say, extremely boring, but I've written. And so I've written for some period of time, so it was just a matter of transitioning, and I've loved food. And as you know, I've, loved, I've, I've always loved food, and so it was just, uh, yeah, also just having the right opportunity, and then by the time, so I had a couple articles in David, and then that was when The Weekly called and said, hey, do you wanna give it a shot over here? And I started writing you know, piece every other week, and now I'm pretty regular. What have you, what's your most recent? Review. My most recent review? Uh, you don't know. That's what happens. He's too busy. He's being an engineer. That's okay. I hope your editor is watching. Brunch, I believe, uh, believe most recent would have been the brunch article. But I'm probably oh, wrong okay. on that. Cover story on Las Vegas <laughs> Weekly. Brunches. Yeah. Very good. Good piece, man. Good piece. Oh, thanks. Um, okay. So, you know, I've been... Oh, wait. We've got a chat question. So let's go to that first. Uh, I got a couple of them. First of all, Sally wants to know, are food critics competitive <laughs> so yeah Jim and I are not competitive yeah yeah we're not we're not competitive but basically I would say that yeah there is there is definitely some competition I, I found that now that we're both writing mm -hmm. that we are probably we probably discuss 
the new restaurants a little bit less and where we're going. And just because of the fact that, you know, it's, it's nice. I know I like to have first dibs on a restaurant. I know you like to have them too. Yeah. And so I think we generally talk more about food, of course, because now we're both writing. But yeah, there's, a, there's some competition. And, when, and then when it comes to, say, other writers in town that we may not have the same relationships with, may not be as friendly, then there's definitely the competitiveness rises. Yeah, I, I will say, um, you know, Jim is a good friend of mine, and we were foodie buddies before we got into this business. I, maybe. I may have been writing about food when we met, but you, you were. definitely weren't. Mm -hmm. um, but there are guys out there who I'm in the middle of writing a book with, my second edition of my book with right now, Max Jacobson <laughs> and John Curtis. And um, the three of us are extremely competitive. And to the point where we will, in fact, fight and argue or make snide comments that I told you about that place, and then you, you, know, you snaked me and you published, you rushed your piece through beforehand and I mean we will yell and curse at each other about exactly that or you know I mean the thing is if I invite Jim out to a dinner because I or because my wife doesn't want to do 12 courses of foie gras oh, and yes. you come with me to that meal I have to say to, to you you can come to this meal but you don't write about anything <laughs> that you're eating if you're on my comp you're not going to write about it before my article comes and that's out never been yeah never been an issue with us so right with us yeah cool but another <laughs> question <laughs> Yes. Uh, first of all, I don't blame <laughs> Stu for not wanting to go to 12 courses of foie gras. Oh, but, uh, but uh, Nate wants to know, are you guys seeing any trends in Vegas restaurants? Trends in Vegas restaurants, man. Well, I would, say, I would say we're definitely seeing a trend towards uh, tapas, towards smaller plates. I mean, that's a good year and a half old, but it's not it's, dying. It's exactly. Uh, obviously, obviously, food trucks are still a trend. And then I think we're seeing... I think we're seeing more inexpensive restaurants. I think we're seeing a push towards uh, value, uh, a push towards uh, uh, price fix. I, I, there's, I, I <laughs> Sorry, you're bringing me back to Franck Savoie correcting me on how to pronounce that word <laughs> yeah, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, how about the fact, you know, you say food trucks. I don't know that I agree with you on that one, but what I think a trend is that we're seeing now, and we're going to be seeing a lot over the next 12 months, is these food truck people going brick and mortar, the people that got their foot in the door. I mean, obviously, we've got sliding through HQ happening. We've got two more sliding throughs opening brick and mortar within the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. We've got um, the guys at Lulu's on the move are about to go brick and mortar. Right. Um, so I, I'd say that's a big trend, really, right now, is I think these guys that you used to follow around on Twitter and now you're bored of that, they're going to start setting up shops so you know where to find them. Another question, Scott? Yep, uh, they want to know what Jim's favorite restaurant is, and also if you have a favorite food truck. That's hilarious. Uh, it's one of those questions that I get, and it's such a tough question. It is the it, worst question for a food critic. We are asked that kind of every yeah. day. When I was in the rock and roll world, everybody asked me what my favorite band was, and now they want to know favorite restaurant. Yeah, and like bands, uh, restaurants are the same. It, it really comes down to... What's your price point? What are you in the mood for? I, I can go on and on about the number of, number of restaurants I love. Uh, I was a regular at Rosemary's. Unfortunately, of course, they closed in the last week. Yeah, I thought your business alone would have supported Rosemary's. <laughs> you would have thought so. <laughs> I obviously wasn't going enough. Well, how about this then? How about a, something that's happening on the Strip that's reasonably priced, but kind of a secret? Like, people don't really know about it, but you're like, 
you got to check this out because not a lot of people are going, but it's a place to go. Well, there's there's a couple. Actually, actually, Al's uh, last review of uh, DOCG, that is a place I've been I've been going for quite some period of time. Love, you forgot to mention the grilled filoni, which is I'm the sorry. best <laughs> dish on the menu. At seven bucks, mm -hmm. it's grilled yeast bread with a with a duck egg fondue on the side, and it amazing. Yeah, I think that kind of gets ignored because everyone talks about the um, New York pizza place if you want pizza, mm -hmm. which is, you know, right there. And then if they want Scott Conan's cooking, they go into Scarpetta. But you can, and by the way, DOCG is not cheap, but you can get out of there at a reasonable Absolutely. price. And yeah, I think it kind of gets overlooked there because among so many other great restaurants. Yeah. yeah, and then probably the pristine, like, hidden gem right now on the Strip is Tacos El Gordo. Opened just north of Wynn, and it's with it, so it's within, within walking distance of Wynn Encore. And yet, no, a lot of people don't realize that you don't have to go down to East Charleston to get probably the best tacos in town. Well, they're what I consider the best tacos in town. So, cool. Yep. Um, and then a food truck wise, Scott. Well, uh, I would say I'm a big fan of Fuku Burger. Uh, I love what I love what. Uh, what Mags and Colin are doing, I love the fact that they're using Asian ingredients in typical American fare. So great burgers, great dogs, and if you ever get the chance to try their chicken and waffles, that's that's the way to go. And one of the um, one of the restaurants that my co-writers and I have been arguing about as we embark on this new book is um, is Bocce Burger, and it's got a lot of big fans here in town. It's mm -hmm. got a big lot of big enemies. Um, and I, you were just talking Fugu Burger. My brain went Bocce Burger. What do you What are your thoughts on that place? I like Bocce Burger. Uh, I hadn't realized. I, it's pretty funny because uh, my biggest criticism of Bocce Burger is the fact that obviously they cook everything. They cook everything medium at least they won't give you you can't get a medium rare burger there right. well i didn't realize that the reason why they do that is because they have, it's actually a beef pork mixture and so uh which is right. funny because of course i wrote about it for david and well there, <laughs> there you go, go. There you, somebody's <laughs> not getting into heaven because of you thanks jim but i <laughs> yes it's a it's a cross i must bear so a cross uh, <laughs> ironic, even more ironic yep. um, you know before i let you go man we got a couple emails because scott finally gave me my emails. He's been hiding them for a while. And what? Yeah, the, the emails. I've got many of them. And I want Jim, because here's one that I can't answer. This came from Christina. Wondering where I can get a good, authentic casado in town. She also says, keep up the good work. The show is awesome. That's the part I like. Casado is a Costa Rican dish. Any thoughts for her on that one? You know, if I remember there was a, there was a Costa Rican restaurant called El Coqui, which was uh, over by Paradise and Sahara, but they've been closed for a number of years now. I don't know of any other okay. others at this point so, in town. Here's one. I don't know if you can get it on this one, but it's a dearest Al. Dearest. Man, I am the dearest Al in this person's <laughs> life, Heather. Um, I recently tried Haleo and totally loved it. Then by chance I heard about the mythical E by the same guy, the same guy being Jose Andres, by the way. Um, have you ever been, or it's Test Lab Wonders and Golden Ticket Gates worth the $250 price, uh, pop price tag? And if you haven't gone, need a date. Um, you know, Heather, I am always <laughs> looking for dates because my wife usually makes me take Jim. But by the I, way, that's my daughter. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Whoa. Cool. Um, a little bit. <laughs> no, no wonder you've been keeping the emails from me. <laughs> uh, Jim, have you been to E? Because I have. I have not, but I've I've heard only only great things about it. So. E, Heather, um, honest to God, E, I think is probably the most enjoyable fun dining experience in Las Vegas, if you're open-minded, if you like bells and whistles, if you like crazy things. It's the type of cooking that a lot of Americans call molecular gastronomy. Do not call it 
molecular gastronomy in Halea or, or E because Jose Andres, who helped invent that form of cooking, hates the phrase molecular gastronomy. You need to call it Spanish avant-garde. E is a tiny little room in the back. It's gorgeous. It's like one table, seats no more than eight people. Um, when you're in there, you've got two chefs full-time plus a supervising chef who comes out. So three chefs, three servers, no more than eight customers. My wife and I were there by ourselves, two people. All the bells and whistles of Spanish avant-garde, you know, like liquid nitrogen is just the beginning. I mean, things that just explode and pop and fizz and fly and turn into, I mean, you wear your food as jewelry and you eat it off your finger. I mean, it's just absolutely wow. amazing. The only other experience I had like that was at Alinea in Chicago, and this was even better because it was so, so intimate and so small. It used to be 250 a pop, and that was a bargain for what you got because you got 15 to 20 courses and you got a beverage pairing, which is mostly wine with a little bit of good Spanish beer in there. And it also included tax and gratuity. And getting out the door for 250 for that kind of experience, I swear, was a bargain. Uh, they have upped the price a little bit. I think the price of the food has gone down. The wine pairing is though now additional, and tax and gratuity are additional. So you're not going to get out of there for 250 a pop, bottom line. But if you are a foodie, if you like bells and whistles, if you just want your mind blown, I absolutely recommend it. Um, so I think, are we pretty much out of time? I have time for one more of these questions, yeah, Scott. Okay, I got a question. I'll give you a short version, Jim. I got a question from someone in Moscow, um, Stuart, asking about tipping when he comes to the US and what the norm is. And I'm not going to go down all of his questions because it's kind of long. Mm -hmm. But he wants to know what the general amount to tip is. Um, do you include beverages? Do you include wine? Do you include tax on the amount you tip? And I actually took this to Facebook because you and I, I mean, me more so, people know who I am in this town. And if I come off as cheap, that reputation gets around really fast. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say, standard tip here in America? 20%. I, that's my base, absolute baseline, 20%. It's easy. You, know, you go ahead, you move decimal point, multiply by two, yeah. and there you're done. 20% of the bottom line. And this, I have found, is really, you know, yes, you include the alcohol. Yes, you include the tax. This is what, no, you don't have to do it, of course. Um, but as I've spoken to people on Facebook, just to make sure that other people in the business are kind of on the same place and people who get tips for a living, the general consensus I came up with really was use that bottom line figure. 15% would be, anything above 15% would be acceptable. Not a snub, not a slap in the face. Anything above 25% would be, wow, I'm really trying to show you how much I love you. In that 15 to 25% range, with 20 as the base is what, uh, for, Good service where they didn't spit in your food. I mean, you know, if they spit in your food, you could get to go below 15%, obviously. But um, I, that's so, and I, you know, hopefully I am. I'm glad to see people in Moscow are watching this show. And I know I'm going to probably get a lot of complaints. Everybody tips their own way. Right. And of course, everyone is entitled to. It's cultural. But if you want to know what the waiter is going to think based on what you tipped, if you give him less than 15% of that bottom line, he's going to think you were trying to insult him. If you give him above 25% of that bottom line, he is definitely going to think, um, you know, wow, this person really, really loves me. Scott, is that a question or are you telling me I'm out of time? No, it's a question. <laughs> I mean, so do you tip even if the service is crappy and the food is crappy? It's, well, the food, I don't, the food, I do not adjust a tip based on the food, really, for the most part. Service, time out of the kitchen, I'm, I'm still blaming the kitchen staff. Right. Um, I will go down to 15 if there are a few small problems. You know, if there are, if my drinks weren't being refilled on time, if the food did take forever, and a waiter, 
or waitress or server or captain does not address a problem like that. If it's 45 minutes before my appetizer, I will forgive that and stay at the 20% if they've come over and said, look, I'm really sorry. We're having a tough time in the kitchen, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll be like, OK, it's obviously not this person's fault. They care. If, you know, but I'll start inching down to that 15% for things like that. To get below that number, it, I really have to be trying to tell them, you suck. When you got that feedback, did you get feedback from people in the industry or from civilians? Um, most of my friends were in the industry, but what I asked was, I'm sorry, I'm looking over that way, and you got that little light on there, Matt. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm doing exactly what I tell my guests never to do. Um, it was people in the industry, but what I specifically sought out was to get people not to report on what they tip as members of the industry, but actually to report on, as a server, what they see the general public giving them and uh -huh. how they accept what's coming from the general public. Because when I originally got it, yes, it was only people in the industry. And of course, you're thinking, well, they're going to, of course, do nice because they know what it's like to work for tips. Right. And that's why I specifically sought out, no, my, my waiter and waitress friends, tell me what you're getting from people. Right. It's not industry tipping industry. Yeah. And then, and then the other key is you were talking about, you were talking about service. Well, you got to remember the, where you're at. I mean, you're not, if you're talking about uh, Guy Savoie or Robichon, there's going to be a different level of service to be expected than, say, uh, China Mama or yeah. any of the other little ethnic joints in town. And you just, you just got to kind of, kind of weigh it for, the, for where you're at. Which is why the 20% on a $30 dinner for two at China Mama is only going to be 6 bucks for them, and the 20% on a $1,000 dinner for two at Guy Savoie is going to be 200 bucks for them. And, yeah. you know. and then, of course, that 20%, you know, if I'm eating at a little diner and it's a $10 tip, $10 tab, you know, I'll throw down 3 or 4 bucks. I mean, that, that 20%, mm. it becomes diminished the smaller the tab is. Yeah. So, it, so it becomes give, more important yeah, you to throw. You give more. To, exactly. Yeah, well, first of all, I don't always want to reach for quarters and things <laughs> to tip them. One more, Scott? Yeah, the yellow means I have a follow-up. <laughs> I, <just, laughs> I just made that up. What, what happens if the food is egregiously bad? There's a hair in it. It's, 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 it's the wrong food. I mean, if it's just... They're just zigging when they should be zagging. If you guys are still going to tip that? Uh, I would say if the food's egregiously bad, I demand that it be taken off yep. the bill. But I will tip the server who's not responsible for it being egregiously bad. Let's say I have a $60 steak, which happened with my wife and I, that was served to us the wrong way twice in a row. And by the time it happened, she just shared my meal. And I said, well, take the 60 bucks off. But in, that, in such an instance, I would still tip the server on what the bill would have been, unless he's the one who screwed up. And in that Absolutely. case, then he doesn't get, you know. Yeah, and it's, really, and it's really important that if something like that happens to you, you've got to remember that as a diner, you have the right to ask for things to be sent back. You have the right to ask for your dish to be cooked the way you want it to be cooked. Don't and you then run the risk of them spitting in your food? I mean, everybody fears that. You yeah. Know, like, uh, hey, this is not, I asked for medium rare, and this is medium. Send it back. A good I'll send it back. No, I mean, if, if you're going to a place, honestly, if you're going to a place where you fear for them spitting in your food, maybe you, you shouldn't be dining at that there. restaurant anyway. <laughs> I mean, if, if that's how I feel about the staff, if I hold the staff in such disdain that I think they would spit in my food, I don't want to eat at the restaurant. Yeah, and, you, you know, there's, there's obviously the chance for bad apples, but really when it comes down to it, uh, people, people have different preferences. And so you 
the restaurant itself wants to go ahead and they want to go ahead and serve you the way you want to be served. Right. So. Okay, well, we are about out of time. I got things to plug. First of all, check out Jim's website, Splurge Monkey. Once in a while, he will occasionally um, post things there. I will. Trying to get him to do it a bit more often. Remember Koshan, All-Star Koshan is coming up this weekend. It is at the Cosmopolitan. I believe Koshan555.com is where you can check out for um, ticket information. It's going to be incredible. I am at almancini.net. I've got all kinds of fun things going on over there. Um, just actually posted a little info about who's going to be on Top Chef Just Desserts today. So if you're wondering who's, who's going to be representing Vegas, go to almancini.net. And yes, the book, Eating Las Vegas, The 50 Essential Restaurants. We are starting work on the new one, but this one is still an essential must-have book if you're going to dine here in Las Vegas. Three guys that don't get along. That's why Jim couldn't be in the book, because I get along with him too well. Um, three restaurant it's critics true. who don't get along, trying to agree on 50 restaurants and calling each other idiots in the process. And you can get that at Amazon. It's 10 bucks and change. Anyway, we will be back next week. I've got to go to a um, sake and sushi tasting class demonstration, and I'm going to try to see if I can wrangle up a chef to come down here and give that same de demo with sushi next week. Can't promise it, but maybe, maybe we'll be talking a little bit about take, or sushi at home next week. Um, and that's about it. Until then, tune in and find out. Check me out on Facebook. I always post stupid things about what I'm doing. Okay, Scott, take it away, brother. <laughs>